Welcome to Creekside Church. We are glad that you're here. Even though it's dreary outside, we can be happy inside. We can be joyful. We are going to, in a moment, take our offering. Uh, if you're a guest with us, welcome. You don't have to feel obligated to give to that offering. But what you can do, if you would like us to get in touch with you, which we would love to, grab, look under the seat in front of you, grab the card, and fill that out and put it in the offering. And also, if you specifically need prayer for something... Um, you can grab that card as well, grab it, put your prayer request on it, put your name, and we will pray for you. If you don't want your name on it, we'll pray for you anyway, just put the prayer request on that. Um, we're going to have two offerings today, and that second offering is we have been, for the last several months, very blessed to have Pablo and Bethany Calderon here with us, but in like a week and a half, is it like a week and a half away? Just about. A week and a half, they are leaving for Romania, okay? And so we want to send them... Uh, with the gift of blessing. And so our second offering today is going to be a special offering just to bless them. Um, the other thing I want to mention is you might have already seen, you can't miss it. Everybody turn around and look straight to the back right now. Those tables are set up with Operation Christmas Child boxes. We are going to do that again this year. So this is just a teaser. I want you to go back there today and talk to Carrie um, about it. But you're going to hear some more detailed announcements about that next week. But let's pray together as we're going to continue just worshiping our King. God, we're so thankful that um, you are our king. We're so thankful that we can uh, worship you freely. God, and I pray that even when the day comes that we can't, um, I pray that we will. I pray that we will stand firm. I pray that you will strengthen us today. God, I'm thankful that we can come as we are um, and that you meet us as we are. That in your presence, Father, I pray that we will be changed. Um, I pray that you find us giving with joyful hearts and that our worship is a sweet aroma to you. Um, God, we love you, and we need you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Some in the room right now are joyful in the name of Jesus, but some in the room right now are tired, worn out, your heart is extremely heavy, you feel like the weight of life is going to crush you, before you even get up out of bed, you're tired, you're exhausted, and life just hurts, and it doesn't really feel like there's a way out, and you, you feel like you are begging God on a daily basis, like when's it going to end? When does it end? Like, I need to know. I need to know that the truth you promise us, God, that redemption is going to win. I need to know that. Because right now in life, it doesn't feel like redemption wins. It doesn't feel like I've been bought to freedom. It feels like I've been bought to suffer. And while that may be true, that in this life we will suffer. In the name of Jesus, there is so much more than just suffering for the sake of suffering, but that we can suffer with joy in the midst of it. So no matter where you are this morning, you are heavy, you are joyful. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, come to me. Don't everything else you're going to, stop going to it. Come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And in John, he says, in this world, you will, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And in James, it says this, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith will produce steadfastness. God, we are before you in a whole lot of different situations in life right now. We come to you as we are in our joy, in our happiness maybe. God, in whatever circumstance we are in our brokenness, we know that nothing is impossible for God. We know that nothing is impossible for you, God. And we claim the name of Jesus and victory over our strongholds, victory over the battles that we don't feel like we can win. God, I just beg you that every heart in this room today, that we can see redemption win, that you have bought us with a price and we belong to you. We are sons and daughters of the Most High King and because that is true, there is nothing that cannot be overcome in the name of Jesus because of his death on the cross. You won every victory. You won every victory. And you have won the victory in our lives today. So God, we just give it all up to you. And the weight of the world is on our shoulders, Father. We wanna release that to you. God, we are begging, let us see redemption win. We need you. We love you in the name of Jesus, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for playing. Thank you guys for worshiping, for singing. Uh, the title of this message today is Joy, Trials, and Muscle Failure. And so I was, uh, I was, I was uh, talking to a lady from Farrell's. She was older. I'm not going to call her old because she'll, she'll uh, hurt me. Um, later on if she hears this, but she was older, and I was talking to her about some training that she had started doing, um, actually lifting real weights, and um, so uh, she, she, she comes up to me a day after she had gone through some training, and she was like, oh, this is just terrible. She's like, I'm like, what? Calm down. What is terrible? She's like, you're telling me that this feeling that I have right now is a good thing? Like, I can barely move my arms. I can't, I, like, I, it's hard to put shirts on. It's hard to take shirts off. And she's like, um, I was like, yes, it's good because your muscles are tearing when she's like, oh, that just, that sounds so bad. You're, that cannot be a good thing, that your muscles are tearing. And I, so I went on to explain to her what's happening in her body and why she's in pain. And, but, I, but what happened was I needed to explain to her what the end result would be in order for her to be okay with the pain that she was feeling in the moment, right? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because in the moment, it is so hard to understand that this pain could possibly be good. Like there's nothing good about this pain that I am feeling right now. I feel it all the time. I feel I'm, I'm sore most of the time. Um, but it's a good thing because I know what the end result will be. And that's the same way that it is in life. Here's why you need to know what we're going to talk about this morning, because so many, so many people in this room 
And so many people that you will come across on a daily basis on your street have staked their identity. They have staked their mental identity and their spiritual identity on their happiness, right? They've staked their emotional and spiritual identity on their happiness. But here's what I want you to get this morning. And this, this next slide um, kind of shows it all, all right? This is what I want you to understand, that joy and happiness are not even on the same playing field, right? We have to stop equating joy with happiness because joy is greater than happiness, okay? And your identity is greater than the circumstance that you are in currently. No matter how good or bad your current circumstance is, joy is greater than happiness. It's different than happiness. And identity is greater than your circumstance. And here's the deal. Joy is to identity as happiness is to circumstance. Because if I have a good day, I might be happy. If I have a bad day or my circumstance is bad, I might not be happy. Right? It is not the same thing as joy. We have been taught that they're the same thing, but they're not even on the same playing field. Because here's the truth of the matter. This is God's truth. That we can, we can, when we get to that point, that we can be joyful no matter what our circumstance, then, and only then, will our identity be secure. Right? Because if I'm staking my identity on my happiness, on the day-to-day circumstances of my life, and I have a bad day or I'm going through something really, really hard, I'm not happy about it. And then my identity gets all messed up. So my identity is in my joy. My circumstance might or might not make me happy. We need to go back and walk through uh, the first part of the, the first chapter of the book of James. We're going to do that this morning. We're going to start a series on the book of James. Um, and so I'm going to give you just a little bit of background. Okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of background, and then we're going to go for it. All right, And some of the background will come in the intro to uh, this letter from James. But James was the brother of Jesus, and at first, here's the deal. Mark sent this to me this week just as a reminder. But at first, James uh, had to struggle believing that his brother Jesus could, be, could possibly be the Messiah. And then after Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, the church started, James becomes uh, one of the pastors of the first, one of the first churches ever, right? And so he goes from, this is my brother, like he goes from disbelieving to pastoring a church in, in the name of his all-powerful God brother, Right? Try living under that shadow your whole life. Um, but James, he didn't live under that shadow. He uh, pushed people towards Jesus. And I love that. And so we're going to read uh, James chapter 1, verse 1 through 8 right now. James chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. Um, it's toward the end of your Bible. It's on page uh, 1318 in my Bible, if that's helpful at all. I know it's not. Um, but uh, it's toward the end of your Bible, right after the book of Hebrews. Um, James chapter 1, 1 through 8 says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So it starts out, verse 1. James, a servant. The actual Greek word there is bondservant or bondslave. I know Kyle has um, described this to you before. But in short, when a servant was given his freedom by his master, if that master was a trustworthy master, if the servant came to love that master, if the servant um, saw that master as a, um, a fair um, pleasing master, he could then by choice become a slave for life of that master. And so they would, they would put the, 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 the slave's ear on a post and drive an all through it, and that hole there would, would represent the fact that this is a bond slave, right? And much like Jesus, James is saying, here's what I want my identity to be staked on. Here's what I want everybody to know about me, that I am a bond slave, that my master is good, he is gracious, he is loving, and I want to be known as Jesus Christ's bond slave. By choice, I am serving him. I'm so dedicated to Jesus that I am a slave by choice choice and you think like okay yeah you're a christian you you are a follower of jesus but you know what that's not necessarily true because i know a lot of people who would who would say that they're christians right that do not wake up every day making that choice on a daily basis that i choose today to serve jesus you think it's a given but it's not right and you need to, to answer that question in your own life. You th- I mean, James said it for a reason here. Like, I want to be known this way. Like, is that, my, is that my desire? Do I desire to wake up every single day and say, yes, today I choose because of who Jesus is to serve him, right? And then he says, this is to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. This is a letter from James. It's written specifically to Jewish Christians who've been scattered throughout the known world at that time into many different house churches around the known world because specifically of persecution from the Assyrians and the Babylonians. But here's the deal. This is meant to be an encouraging letter kind of a how-to for the Christian life for Christians everywhere. But we know specifically it was written with Christians in mind who were familiar with persecution, who were familiar with suffering on so many different levels. So James writes to a, a group of people who had suffered persecution in a place that was not their home. Does that sound familiar? Because guess what? This is not your home if you're a believer in Jesus, right? And so this can be encouraging to us as well because heaven is my final home. And so I'm in a place right now, you, if you believe in Jesus, are in a place right now where you will suffer. You will suffer, but this isn't it. You are suffering in a place that is not your home. 
home and Jesus, guess what? Redemption will win. Redemption has won. But in the midst of a life of suffering, it's hard to see sometimes. Redemption will win. Verse 2, he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy, right? Remember, joy is greater than happiness. Identity is greater than circumstance. Joy has to do with identity as happiness has to do with circumstance. Is it possible? This is the question. Is it possible to be joyful all the time? Do you think? Is it possible to be joyful all the time? Yes, no, maybe so. Yes, it is. It is possible to be joyful all the time. Is it possible to be happy all the time? No, it's not. It's impossible. You will not be happy all the time. If you are, I hate you. I'm just kidding. I don't, all right? No one wants to be around a happy person all the time. You know, it's, whatever. I'm just kidding. I would love to be around happy people. Um, but here's the deal. It says this. The word joy right there, consider it all joy. In the Greek is the word shara. And this is what it literally means. Joy found in the Holy Spirit or even more, joy in what the Spirit is imparting. Right? So he very specifically used a very specific word. Am I allowed to do that? Use the same word twice in a sentence? He specifically used that word to describe what he's talking about. Because let's be honest. When you're suffering, it's not, it's not really the people who come up to you and say things like, it's okay, um, other people have it worse, all this stuff. It's going to be It's like, dude... If you, if you tell me it's going to be okay, one more time, if you tell me that I need to look at the positive in this relationship one more time, we are going to be, we're done, right? It's like, no, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's me, it's not you. No, it's like, no, it's you, and you need to stop uh, because, let's be honest, we don't want to hear things like, oh, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. This is going to pass when we're in the middle of our pain. Those people are annoying, Right? We don't want to hear that. So how can we possibly hear, consider it all joy when you're facing trials of many kinds, right? Remember this, a couple years ago, I think it was about two years ago, two to three years ago, Sam Webb, he was the pastor of Olivet Church that was in here before us, and he sat up here with Andrew Strutzenberg, and he told his story, right? And as he read this verse... Consider it all joy. He put it this way. When you're going through a trial, and he was at the time, he had fallen down the stairs in this building. He had hit his head, and he lost short-term memory. I mean, imagine that, right? One day you're fine, the next day you're not, right? And so he was going through a struggle, and he described it this way. Read that verse this way. Consider joy. Consider being joyful in the midst of of your trial. How? Why? Why why do we consider joy in the midst of the trial? Sometimes being angry feels better. Sometimes being depressed feels better. Sometimes it seems like those are the only things that I could possibly do to feel better. And so we start going to all these other things and joy is the last possible thing on our minds because it's not 
because we're happy about the situation that we're going through. When you're suffering, when you're going through something really, really hard in this life, right? It is okay not to be happy. Do you get that? It's okay to mourn. I mean, Jesus even says it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to not be okay. You may not be happy in the situation that you're going through in life, but you know from this verse, if you consider being joyful in the midst of that moment that does not make you happy, that being joyful in Christ, finding your identity in Christ through that test, through that trial, will produce steadfastness that will hold you to the end till you see Jesus face to face. Because when you consider being joyful in the midst of a trial, and you know that through that, steadfastness that will bring you to the day that you see Jesus face to face, you start thinking about that day, it doesn't necessarily minimize your struggle. It gives you what you need to push through. It gives you what you need to wake up the next day and be joyful even though you're not happy. It gives you what you need. You may not be happy with your circumstance, but you're joyful about what the Spirit is producing you. You're joyful about when. You're, you're joyful when. When you face trials. The word trials in the Greek is periosmos. Nobody can really say that, so bear with me. It, it means this. A trial given or allowed by God for the purpose of showing, proving, or encouraging one's faith, okay? A trial or a test given from Satan is always meant for one thing, your downfall, okay? If Satan shoves it at you, if Satan gives it to you, it is meant to, like John 10.10 says, the thief, who is Satan, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to steal your identity, he wants to kill your hope, and he wants to destroy any chance you have of ever being a faithful witness for the kingdom of God. He has one goal, Satan does, for you to come down, right? To destroy you. That is Satan's goal. A situation where you have a trial in that situation, what Satan means for like Joseph in the Old Testament, his brothers sold him into slavery, right? And God used that, right? I don't know what's worse, but you get sold into slavery. God used that to eventually save the nation of Israel from a drought, right? Years later. And Satan, and, and, and Satan meant that to destroy Joseph. And Joseph even says to his brothers who sold him into slavery, he said, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. Right, Because the same trial in your life that Satan would use to take you down, to destroy you, God wants to use to shape you to be more like Jesus. So how do we do that? By being joyful, by considering joy through the situation, looking forward to what God will produce in you. Here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about trials or actually I should say consequences in your life due to your own sin. I'm not talking about that. 
right? And I don't think James is talking about that. He's not saying because you are stuck in a repetitive sin and now you have these consequences that you have to deal with. Guess what? You have to deal with those consequences, right? But here's what it could be talking about. It could include um, confessed sin that now you still have to face the consequences for. You may have screwed up. You may be stuck in a perpetual sin, right? But you have been on your knees. You have confessed that sin to God. You have desired to move away from that sin. But you still have to live with the, early con- with the earthly consequences. It could include that. That through that trial that you have now confessed to the Lord and that you want to move on through, from, through the consequences of that, you can still be shaped by God through that situation to be more like Jesus. Here's the deal. If we change how we think through any situation in our life, it will change how we journey through that situation, right? Because most of us, on our first reaction kind of level, when things get hard in life, right, joy is not the first thing that we're going to consider being, right? We're going to consider being angry. We're going to consider being depressed, for me, it's I'm going to consider trying to solve this thing as fast as I possibly can until it's no longer part of my life, right? Because I don't do good when I have things unsolved, un, unsolved mysteries. I don't do good with that, right? And so I go to all these places that I shouldn't, and then in the end, I'm worse off than I was in the beginning, right? But if I change the way I think about the situations that are thrown my way, right, whether God is, is giving them or allowing them, I change how I think initially, considering joy rather than the alternative. I will change the way that I go through that specific circumstance. So what is it going to produce? If I start considering being joyful in the midst of my circumstance, right? What is it going to produce? Verse 3 and 4 say this. For you know that you're like, well, I didn't know that. Well, he's telling you right now, okay? If you, if you were questioning, you know this now, that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness, when complete, results in your perfection. Now, if you've come to Jesus for salvation, meaning that you've acknowledged his death on the cross for you, that you desire to follow him and that you are heaven bound, you know that, that's salvation. If that is you, then you are positionally, as God looks at you right now, even though this morning you sinned, right? That's true of most of us this morning. We've made mistakes. We've thought things we shouldn't think. We've sinned toward our our wife or our kids or whatever it may be, right? Even though that is true about you, when God looks at you, he sees you as clean. He sees you as perfect. You are positionally before God because of Jesus, you are perfect, right? You are perfect. But as we push through this life, as we go through this life and we continue to need God's grace because we still sin, right? We still sin. We carry on. We keep our hope in the identity of Christ, right? So that even when we're not happy with our situation, we carry through, right? And we hope in God 
and we consider joy and we come out on the other side, we know that through this situation, we can rejoice because God is sovereign and he will carry us through until our hope is complete when you are with Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about that steadfastness that carries us through these hard moments, specifically hard moments when our faith is tested to walk away from Jesus, right? When you are tempted by Satan to walk away from Jesus, what do you do? But really, honestly, when we're living in the middle of a hard trial, don't you, sometimes I am like, you know what, God? You're not hearing me. You're not answering my prayers. I have been begging you to relieve me of this struggle over and over and over and over and over again. And you're not doing it. What is going on? Right? In the midst of that trial, I choose to consider being joyful. Why? Because if I am, I know that I make it through this trial. God, get this truth, okay? Get this truth. There's no promise in Scripture that God says every time you ask of it, he is going to end your trial when you ask him to do it. He's, he doesn't promise that. Here's what he does promise. You might have to go through it. You might have to go through it. But I will give you what you need to make it through. And if God's going to give you what you need to make it through, then you can be joyful because when he gives you what you need to make it through, and you do make it through, and you can look back at that situation and say that God was faithful, I am joyful that I am going to be able to look back at that situation and see God's faithfulness. So the next time a, a trial happens in my life that tempts me to abandon God, that tempts me to run away from God, no, I'm going to stand firm. I'm going to be steadfast. That is the kind of steadfastness that this is talking about. Every time you face a trial from now on, you will know. My first reaction should be joy because God is carrying me through. He will not abandon me. Even if I feel like he will abandon me, even if I'm not happy, he's not ever going to give up on me. He will be faithful and I will get through this. And when I get through it, I can do it again. And I can do it again. I can do it again. Why? Because I serve Jesus. Because it's not about my strength. If it was about my strength, I would not be a follower of Jesus. I would have given up a long time ago. It's not about what you can do. It's about what Jesus can produce in you and through you. So in whatever trial you are in right now, or if you are in a moment of joy and praise to God, that's awesome. That's amazing. Just don't go up to somebody that is going through a trial and say it's going to be okay. Just don't do that, right? Sympathize with them. It's amazing if you are knowing joy right now, but the day will come when you will face a trial, and when you do, or if you are right now, consider being joyful. God is faithful. And then James goes on, and he's essentially saying, like, it's like almost like a, an unwritten pause in the letter, right? Between verse 4 and 5, 
it's almost like, okay, so I've told you this, to consider joy through trials. But if you're not getting that, if you're not getting that, uh, here's what you need to do. Like, if you're having a hard time grasping the how to be joyful through trials, because it's hard, it's not easy. If you're having a hard time grasping the how, here's how you do it. Verse 5 through 8. It says this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea um, that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person should not, must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What's he saying? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to pray. I want you to pray every day. I want you to pray. I want you to beg God that he will give you the wisdom how to do what I just told you to do, right? And really this passage, verse 5 through 8 right there, is saying through the rest of this letter, right, through the rest of what I'm about to tell you, you're going to have questions as to how to live that out, right? Well, the best place to go for the how-to is to God himself. Right? So here's what you need to do. When you have no clue, like, I've told you to be joyful because it's going to produce steadfastness to continue on, right, in strength. Or it's going to be, produce steadfastness to continue on in your weakness, right? I've told you that. But still, you're going to come to the moment where it's going to be like, God, this is impossible, this, are you kidding? This is impossible. How do I do it? How, how do I possibly be joyful through this? Pray like crazy. Pray like your life depends on it because it does. That God will give you wisdom. That God will give you wisdom. And he says, if you ask for wisdom, don't doubt that he will give it to you. Is, any, is anybody else in the room like me? Like oftentimes when you pray, um, the first thing you think after you pray something is doubt. Is anybody else like me? Anybody in the room? One person, that's awesome. Okay, so <laughs> thank you. Sometimes when I pray, the first thought that pops into my mind is like you know, doubtful, right? God, I really want you to do this for me. But in my humanness, in my finite mind, I can't possibly fathom how the answer to that prayer is going to happen. Right? I can't figure it out. But this is telling me, when you pray for something like wisdom, when you pray for wisdom, right, in how to live a godly life, God will be generous to give it. That's a promise. God will be generous to give it. He is a good and compassionate God, right? And he will give us wisdom through his spirit if we don't doubt that he can actually do it, right? Honestly, it's, I mean, it's probably one of the hardest things to do in a prayer life is to pray without doubting. Like you're praying for somebody to uh, be healed. In my brain, I know that God can do that, right? But oftentimes, I pray for healing for somebody, and the first thing that comes into my head afterwards is doubt that it's actually going to happen, right? And so what do I do? I pray, God, I pray that you would heal this person, and then I give God an excuse for not healing them, right? 
It's like, God, I pray that you would, you would heal this person, but if you don't, I still love you. <laughs> you know? I mean, we do that all the time, right? And what Jesus did in the garden when he, when he prayed, God, I want this, but your will be done, he wasn't giving God an excuse. He was really actually uh, surrendering to the will of God, Right? He wanted one thing, but he surrendered to the will of God. But when we pray, do not give God an excuse not to answer your prayer because you doubt that he can actually do it. When you pray, believe that he is the one that can and will answer your prayer if you do not doubt. The answer is not always going to be yes, but in this situation, he promises that if you pray without doubting, God will give you the wisdom. He will give you the wisdom in order to live out what you think is impossible. Because when we doubt in our prayers for wisdom, we actually create the opposite effect, right? We create the opposite effect in any, in any situation that we say, okay, God, I'm going through this trial right now. I want to be joyful, but I don't know how. How do I do that, God, right? If we doubt in that moment that God will actually give us the how, that he'll give us the wisdom, the opposite happens because what does this say that we become like? We become like a wave tossed and back and forth like the sea. We are unstable. So we're praying for stability in wisdom in how to make it through this thing in our life. And then we doubt and we become the very opposite of the thing that we're praying for. We want stability and wisdom, but we become unstable, right? So the question is, when I'm praying... Do I actually believe, do I actually believe that God can do what he says he can do? And here's what that looks like, to believe, to believe that God can answer your prayer, right? Many of us will pray, I do this often, I pray, but then I don't begin to live my life like God's actually going to answer that prayer. I pray for something, and then I go right back to doing what it was I was doing before I asked God for it. But why not pray for wisdom and then get up from that prayer with full confidence that God is going to give me the wisdom to get through this situation and so I take a step forward, okay? But most of us will pray for wisdom and we'll doubt that God's actually going to give it and we stay right where we're at with no willingness to move forward through that situation. We stay in our guilt. We stay in our anger. We stay trying to figure out ourselves, right? We stay right where we're at. But what does it look like to, to pray without doubting? Pray and then take a step forward. Pray harder, take a step forward. Don't give up, pray some more and take a step forward. Because God is faithful to answer when you pray without doubting. So pray and then move. Pray and then move. Pray and then move. Because your inability to move shows what is in your heart. You get what I'm saying? Live your life like you actually believe God is going to answer that prayer. The band is going to come back up right now. And we're about to have a time where we're going to worship Jesus and remember his death on the cross for us. But as we struggle in this life, we can consider being joyful through trials knowing what the Spirit will produce in us, that joy is greater than happiness. Being joyful through life has nothing to do with whether you're happy or sad in a moment. 
that joy helps you to be secure in your identity in Jesus. And happiness is only circumstantial. So that we, so we pray for wisdom. We pray for wisdom. We pray for wisdom in how to go through and be joyful through trials. We're going to worship and we're going to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We're going to take the bread and the cup. And here's the deal. Hebrews 12, 2 says this. I love this. It says this. Looking to Jesus. We looking to Jesus. The founder and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See Jesus had just been in the garden of Gethsemane. So distraught he was sweating like drops of blood. Right? And he begged his father in heaven. He said, if there is any other way that we can accomplish, he said, this is a paraphrase. He said, if there's any other way that we can accomplish their salvation, because he knew that what he was about to go through was going to accomplish our salvation. Right? So he's saying, God, if there's any other way to accomplish that rather than my death, let's do that instead. Right? Because guess what? Jesus was not happy. Jesus was not looking forward to going to the cross on the level that he was human. But what did he say to his father? He said, but not my will, but yours be done. And what answer did he get? He got no. Like, this is the only way. Jesus, you've got to go to the cross. But what does Hebrews 12 say? He says that, it says that Jesus, for the joy set before him. In the Greek, language, it is the same exact word that is used in James when it tells us to consider being joyful through trials. I cannot think of a worse trial, and I'm not asking you to uh, compare your trial to Jesus's trial because you'll lose that one, but don't compare. Here's another thing. Do not compare your trial to someone else's trial because your trial is your trial. If you compare your trial to someone else's trial and say, oh, they got it worse, so I'm not going to deal with mine, you're going to be stuck in your trial forever, right? So I'm not telling you right now that just because Jesus had to go die on a cross, yours isn't anything. Yours is yours, and Jesus wants to help you through it, right? But this is the same exact word that Jesus was begging his Father that if there's any other way, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, but I will. And then, while he was on the cross, Jesus considered joy. Jesus was joyful because why? He wasn't happy to be on that cross. It wasn't enjoyable. It was painful. And his father turned his back on his son. Right? But he was joyful because he knew that his death would accomplish our salvation. And that he would, he would be glorified at the right hand of the throne of his father in heaven. He knew what the end result would be, so he was joyful through the trial. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for Jesus and that he chose to be joyful, that he was thinking of my name, that he was thinking of everyone's name in this room when he was on that cross, that the joy of our salvation and the joy of glorifying you and obeying you and the fact that in the end he would stand, he would be next to your throne in glory. God, he was joyful through that pain. I pray that as we remember him, we would remember what he suffered for us and God, that we would 
consider being joyful because we are reminded of who we serve this morning. We serve Jesus who gave his life up for us. So God, wherever we're at this morning in these moments as we worship you and it puts our life into perspective, we see what is right with you in the midst of everything wrong in our life that we would consider joy. God, we love you and we need you. Be praised right now, God. In Jesus' name, amen. face to face. Don't you want the attitude of your heart to be able to say it is well? Like I know that even people who are not close to God want peace 
and they're going to be searching forever. But in the name of Jesus Christ, we can, no matter what, say it is well that I have experienced true, everlasting, never-ending peace. Don't I want my soul to say it is well every day that I'm on earth? until the day that I see Jesus face to face. And so the challenge for this week is to every single day, start your day off by begging God. Don't just say the words as a checkmark thing, but spend time asking God to give you wisdom. How? How do I be joyful through my whole day so that I can be steadfast and my soul can say it is well through whatever comes today. So let's pray one more time and then we're gonna sing one more song together. God, I beg you that you would give every person in this room wisdom. Wisdom beyond our understanding. Wisdom that is only straight from you so that we can live our days in joy, in peace. God, in impossible situations, please do the impossible. We can't wait to see Jesus face to face. Give us wisdom. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sing this out with all that you are.